today with the next episode of the Juby Take. I'm Steve. I'm Adam. And with us today is a legendary Zachary Juby. Hello. Good to be here. There he is. Finally. Got Finally. him here. After all these years. I, yeah, I took multiple car rides, a train ride, and um, and let's just be, let's face it, uh, a was lot there of- there an alpaca involved? There- was not an alpaca. Okay. There was not an alpaca. But there was a metal tube. I think I read something about there was a metal tube. A metal tube? Yeah. Um, as far as traveling on? As far as traveling on in a metal tube. I was inside of a metal tube for a uh, very stressful 10 hours. But wow. uh, okay. more on that later. Yeah. More on that later. Okay. So our topic today is we're going to get into the world of mountain biking. I want to, sorry, can we restart because I just remembered now that I thought of something uh, funny for the intro and I totally didn't say any of it at all. So Possible that we could restart? Yes, it is possible. Yeah. Are we going to restart? Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and, and pretend. pretend. You folks at home can pretend along with us that we're starting over. Yeah. So what was your what was your big lead in that that you'd been working on for all these many months? Hi, oh, I'm uh, Adam. I'm Steve. Oh, uh this is uh this is Zachary here. Uh first time caller, long time listener. Uh I've been listening for a few years now. Uh, I got to say I'm a big fan of uh what you guys have going on here. It's a uh, it's a uh, horrible that it's being recorded for other people to listen to uh these days, but um it, now everyone can understand my pain. Oh, 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 that's it. That right. was a sarcastic it was, comment. That was to put us down. Okay, I get it. Into that nice. just a little bit. So that's your perspective of what we're doing. Oh, there we go. There we well, go. Well, drink. Okay, so now that we've gone through that pain. I uh, just wanted to announce my presence with authority. Yeah. Okay. Done. Check. Okay, Nuke. So <laughs> mountain biking. It's something that, that you enjoy, that you love doing. As a matter of fact, you just got back from Utah on a trip where, well, you had some misadventures, let's say. Utah. Yeah, yeah, Utah is a, is a magical place. Um, I do indeed love mountain biking. It is, uh, is one of my greatest passions. But this trip uh, had a bit of a rough start. You know, we talked uh, earlier, a metal tube of uh, discomfort and emotion for 10 hours. I uh, was very, very excited to go to Moab, Utah with a couple of friends for a mountain biking trip and uh, Message them a couple days before because naturally I was packed two days early for my trip. Um, asking them, hey, what's the stupidest thing that you can forget? And they're my friends, so they're sarcastic jerks to some degree. And uh, the first response back is, your bike. I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Not going to forget that. 
Um, so I get to the train station, realize I forgot my bike. And I'm looking. <laughs> well, no, now as I heard it, you didn't forget a bike. You'd forgot your bike. I forgot my bike. Yeah. So got off of work at three o'clock and I had to be a union station in downtown Los Angeles at six. And, uh, if you're not familiar with Los Angeles, there's traffic around that time of the day. So I had the perfect amount of time to go 17 miles, you know, nice three, three, three hours to, to get there. That's kind of close, but I get it. I got off work, grabbed, uh, a boxed up bicycle from outside of the bike shop stood at the front of my store waiting for my ride to come grab me for 10 minutes as people asked me what's inside of that box. Oh, it's my bike. It's my mountain bike. I'm going to Moab and, uh, head on my way, find out, uh, while I'm checking my luggage that it's indeed the wrong bicycle that I have brought with me. My train leaves in 15 minutes. And, uh, so then it, uh, the anxiety set in and, um, problem solving commenced. And and just to make it clear that everybody understands, this is the one train that's going. It's the train actually that goes from L.A. to Chicago, so it's once a day train. Correct. That is correct. Six ten. The six ten train. So if I skip that, I have to wait a whole another day, and I'm also stuck at the train station for like the next four or three or four hours as I wait for someone to come pick me up. So there weren't a lot of good options. There wasn't. There wasn't. Uh, stress definitely set in. I just decided, you know what? I'm going to get to Flagstaff and figure it out. I'm, I'm on vacation. I don't want to be here. So so was there a bar car on this train? There was. There was. Um, so did you enjoy any of the $12 beers that they had? or uh, I did not. Or $20 mixed drinks? No. I um, No, conveniently, I uh, by way of magic, I, I suppose, I stretched a... Uh, two dollar Gatorade into being a uh, thirty four dollar mistake, and uh, I went and got a Gatorade and immediately didn't want any of it. But of course, I poured it in my nice thirty two ounce Hydro Flask with some ice. And uh, when I decided I didn't want to drink it, I put it in a holder in the front of the seat of mine and promptly left it. So it's 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 on its way to Chicago. Yeah, I called I called the service line to ask them if, you know, for the because there's a service line for the lost and found. So I tried to explain to them why a hydro flask wasn't just a water bottle because my initial message was that I left a green water bottle and I figured someone's going to hear that and say I don't give a shit, but right. You know, I guess I really do think if they hear my explanation of a hydro flask and its importance, they're probably not going to give a shit. I haven't gotten a call back yet. Depends on who they are. Well, and if they have a hydro flask, because once you have one, then you totally understand somebody wanting one back is, is a high priority and really a, it's an important issue. Yeah. Okay. So now you're on the train for 10 hours and there's absolutely nothing you can do about the bike that's wrong. That's, that's in a box there on the train with you. And since it's six o'clock in the afternoon, very shortly it becomes nighttime and then the middle of the night and there's absolutely no contact with people and making plans. You just have to just kind of sit and stew in this concoction that you've created leaving LA. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty 
you know, awful description right there of a situation. And it's uh, it's fairly accurate to exactly how it was. And okay. you're really you're really bringing me back to it. This is great. Okay. Well, a lot of the <laughs> getting over these types of things is is you know working through it. So okay. But ultimately, um, it was it just ended up being a seventy dollar mistake. Uh, apparently, I'm a nice enough person that people will want to do me a favor. My boss went and grabbed my bike and put it on the next train the next day. Showed up at five a.m., grabbed it in Flagstaff, and then we literally assembled it in the parking lot, threw all the packaging that the box was in, that the bike was in, in the dumpster right there, and drove straight out of town. So, uh, cost a little bit extra money, but everything worked out, and we were on our way to Moab. So, for people that have never been to Moab, maybe don't know what Moab is. Uh, what is it, and why would you go there? As opposed, like you know, if someone is does mountain bike someone like yourself you know uh what's the expectation going there you know adam that's a great question and i appreciate you asking it because there are a lot of different perspectives that you get while there we go you know planning a trip um moab utah is on the southern border of uh, of utah also along uh, colorado so that would be like the the southeast border of utah it is smacked in between uh, Arches and Canyonland National Parks. Like the Golden Arches? Not like the Golden Arches. Um, okay. No. Okay, I mean, one more question like that, and you're, I'm turning your mic down. So go ahead. Come on, man. This is killing my shot at Outside Magazine. <laughs> um, so you have a bunch of national parks right around there. Uh, it is beautiful Red Rock uh, Canyon-type area. And uh, it's it's a great mountain biking area for the reason that there is so many technical features and it's so much primitive riding. Um, in the area of southern Utah, it's it's really great for mountain biking because this red rock in a lot of instances that you can't hike up the super steep areas because it's just a slick rock face. But with a mountain bike tire and you get the proper amount of pressure on it and uh, the, the rubber on the tread just really sticks and digs into this rock nicely. So you can uh, get very, very uh, tacky trails. By tacky, I mean just like sticky. Your rubber is going to be right there on the rock. And it uh, has the LaSalle Mountain Range, which is uh, just, uh, I think, technically south of the town. Huge elevation gain. I think that they're over 14,000 feet. Or the, the tallest one might be over 14,000 feet tall, speaking of LaSalle. Could be wrong on that. But it's a good thing about this podcast. It doesn't yeah, matter. It doesn't matter. Um, so you have this huge mountain, and then it goes into a canyon. Um, for anybody who's been to the Grand Canyon and knows what the red wall is, uh, you have multiple layers of different colored wall and rock inside the Grand Canyon because it's so big. But it's basically everything that's like the red wall, which is near the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And so the terrain's very similar. And as someone who spent time in the Grand Canyon and was on a trip with people in the Grand Canyon, that was super cool. It's like, because you can't mountain bike in the Grand Canyon at all or in national parks. Um, so people go to Moab for the primitive nature of it. Uh, you drive into Moab and all you see are badass, full-on trail mountain bikes, you know, mostly six-inch travel bikes, which are for more technical and fast downhill stuff, bigger stuff, opposed to like your four-inch travel bike or, or less that's going to be more cross-country oriented type of trails. Um, and then Jeeps, tons and tons of Jeeps. It's all just rock crawlers and, and mountain bikes out there. So that's why people go to Moab. Nice. Right on. Well, it sounds really like an impressive place. It's different than 
the other places you've written because you've written in Arizona, now Utah, and California. Yes. Um, and, and some of the places you've gone, I, I, I believe, now you know more about this than I do, they're some of the places that people travel a long distance to get to. Sedona, Arizona, up around Flagstaff, and then, like you mentioned, Moab and Mammoth in California. These are place, These are destination places for mountain bikers, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And all provide really different feels. Uh, Sedona is known for so many different things. Um, mountain biking being one of the biggest ones, especially in the wintertime. It's a mecca for that, similar to Moab, that it's so hot in the summer. Uh, but you head over there in the wintertime and when a lot of your areas like Pacific Northwest um, and the East Coast where you get a lot of snow and people are looking to have some fun, you can still ride your mountain bike. So Sedona is really big for that. Very uh, nice, iconic trails, very well manicured, just naturally shaped. I guess not so much manicured. There's some really, really amazing trail workers down there in the Sedona area. Uh, very similar to Flagstaff as well. Mammoth is a destination, but for a completely different reason that it's a bike park. And you have a resort there and it's a resort town, you know, ski in the wintertime and mountain bike in the summertime with lifts and completely manicured uh, trails to the point where uh, they develop different technologies to make trails more sustainable and take more heavy traffic constantly. And that's why the mountain bike industry is one of the, I think it's really on the rise right now because you have so much development around conservation. You know, the snow industry is so volatile is it you can have a great, great product, but it misses on a year that doesn't have great snow. So people don't get as many hands on it. Right. You have um, to go searching for the snow. Exactly. And so this really sustainability that you can get from mountain biking trails and mountain biking areas is super cool because a trail that's really good for mountain biking, you know, I guess depending on exactly what type of mountain biking you're trying to do, can be a great trail for hiking. A lot of instances, that's not true though. <laughs> like at all. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, so the different areas, uh, you have different destination-type places. I was fortunate enough to live in Flagstaff all summer long. You have beautiful weather, great riding. The winter comes, you go down to Sedona, great riding. I was able to dive into the sport really fast in an amazing area that had all different levels of trails right at my footsteps, and I could ride it 350 days out of the year, no problem. So maybe my skill set got enhanced a little bit faster than others, or maybe I'm a prodigy. Am I a prodigy? It's possible. Could be a prodigy. We're going to go with that. He might be a prodigy. Might be a prodigy. He might be a prodigy. That could be the name of this podcast. Well, it's still unnamed, so. It's possible. It, it's very possible. Okay, now you live in Southern California and in Culver City, which is just east of the, the coast. You work in Santa Monica. Have you been able to find riding over there? Yes, but uh, not at first and not without help. I guess Los Angeles and Santa Monica isn't necessarily known for its mountain biking, but the mountain biking scene out there is pretty strong. You get into the different type of outdoors person once you get into Los Angeles, especially opposed to Flagstaff. Flagstaff, everybody lives there because they love the outdoors. And in Los Angeles, people have things going on and they love the outdoors, so they drive a long way to go and do it, do so. Um, so I set out to the Santa Monica mountains, closest mountain range and, uh, any trails for bike riding closest to me. And it's about 10 miles away through town a little bit further if you like drive there, but if you ride your bike it's about 10 miles 
and uh, lots of forest roads. Um, it's cool in Southern California that you have beaches with mountains right next to them, so it's really interesting. Um, there on the West Coast, you have these big mountains that create these like ridgeline lips and then go down to a valley and then another ridgeline and then go down to a valley. And um, there's a forest road on pretty much every one of these ridgelines. There's a little trail that goes through all of the canyons. And just riding those, I was finding myself very, very bored constantly because I'm on a six inch travel bike meant for very fast downhill with the ability to pedal up your stuff, which is what I like to do. And, uh, I found myself riding next to old dudes in full spandex with drop bars on their bike. And I'm just like, God damn it. This is, this is boring as shit. I don't, I'm having to like ring a bell to ask hikers to move along. Like I want to go to something that a hiker looks at me like, yeah, I'm not going to walk on that. That looks stupid. I'm like, I want to ride my bike on that. So, uh, one day I was helping a customer in my store and he was buying a mud flap for the front tire of your mountain bike. Normally put on, you know, nicer or bigger, bigger mountain bikes that are going through mud and everything. And he's like, yeah, I keep getting sprayed on my Ibis. And I'm just like, well, you caught my attention. Ibis is a well-known mountain bike brand that primarily makes the type of bikes that I drool over. So I'm like, oh, what? where are you riding? And he says, over Santa Monica Mountains. I'm like, oh, okay, where are you riding? And we get to talking and a super nice guy tells me about these all these different trails that guys just go out in there and build. And they're going from these ridgelines down into the canyons. So I get out there with him and we ride a couple of them. And I was very, very pleased to find out that there is aggressive downhill riding right there in the Santa Monica mountains. I feel a little bit like a, like an outlaw though, when you ride them. Cause you're not supposed to, cause you're not supposed to ride them. They're not even supposed to be there, man. Like they're not there. They don't, they don't exist. I just go out there and I dream about them. But what I dream about is really fast downhill that is very loose harder to ride in the summertime than it is in the winter because you get uh, rains that pack down the dirt a little bit. Sounds extreme, man. Yeah, it's pretty extreme. Extreme. It's pretty extreme. I really like to go fast on my bike and I go chill at the at the beach. Indeed. I go swimming. Well, one, of the, one of the issues that Southern California has is the number of people. There are just so many people I guess one of the reasons if you if you try to keep people out of those canyons because one of the biggest problems over there as my understanding is fire. Those roads you're on, those forest roads are are fire roads, I believe. The more people that head into a dry tindered area, especially if they don't know what they're doing, can create fire problems. But that's unfortunate because it's something that you like to do and it can be done in other places without that issue. But for whatever reason, Southern California decides they don't want people off of the fire roads or even on the fire roads from what I understand. Yeah. You know, I, I think it comes but just down to money, like so many other things, is to have a well-manicured trail that's for specific use. You have to pay people to make it that way. Uh, trail maintenance is a bit of grunt work, but when it's done properly, similar to building a road or building a bridge. If it's done poorly, it's not going to last and you've really wasted your money. So being able to get the right people to build those trails, I think can be very expensive. The maintenance of those trails can be very, very expensive. And I just don't think that there's 
that much interest from the city. I could be wrong, but ultimately they don't bother us mountain bikers going out there. We just coordinate. We go out there and we build our trails. We maintain the trails, trying to build them well, keep them safe, and uh, try not to tell everybody about them. That's one of the things that it remains a local piece for what you're talking about. There's so many people. And what I found in Los Angeles with so many people is there are so many shitheads. (laughs) Well, you don't want some guy out there and he's huffy, you know, with his, you know, backpack with, with the 12 pack in it, leaving beer cans all the way down the trail as he goes end over end, you know, to his death because he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And I'm fine with that guy doing that, you know, (laughs) he'll do it. He'll do it once and I don't got to worry about him. (laughs) Well, what I'm saying is the, the littering, which is any outdoor area. And I know that, that you've been very active in this, in the Flagstaff area, you know, Oak Creek, Sedona, any area that, there, there's a lot of of outside activity and a lot of people camping or hiking or wandering around. And the easier the access at times brings out the people that don't care as much about the outdoors. And they can take five steps from their car and be in this beautiful place. And when they leave, there's diapers and there's cans and bottles and, and just general garbage that they leave behind. And that's very frustrating for anybody that, that comes behind them. Yeah, totally. As conservation is, uh, of, of areas is really, really important. People leaving trash behind, you know, pack the, the whole idea of pack it in, pack it out is really important uh, to not leave those things. When you have big winners and people want to go and see the snow because they see on the news that there's lots of snow and it's a big winner. Um, then they want to go out there and they grab a plastic sled and they go out and they have fun with their sled until it breaks and then they leave the broken pieces behind and then the summer comes and the plastic is still there and through all the rain it just goes into these washes and then these washes lead out into the ocean and just like it continues on everything that you leave out there it stays out there like one of the uh, from my experiences in Oak Creek one of the worst things ever in Oak Creek Canyon one of the worst things people could bring out and leave trash yeah finding diapers is gross but the most consistent and worst thing is um the tiny wrappers that straws get put in especially from like capri suns and those little juices all those little plastic clear plastic those little clear plastic guys because every single drink that you have has one people are constantly people buy those disposable juices when they go out all the time, fill them up in the cooler. And that little piece of trash, so small and so easy to get blown away. If you set it down for a second, if you don't put it directly in a closed trash can, it's getting out and those all collect. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. Even that, that's like just things that even people who care, they picked up all of their trash, but they, they'll leave those behind and we'll forget about them. So, okay. That's, you know, the idea of, of pack it in, pack it out. It's such a simple concept, but it becomes such a daunting task when there's just a few people that don't, because now you've got a group of people going up and packing out, you know, literally hundreds of bags of stuff. And that's frustrating. Now, getting back to mountain biking, is there a place for the novice mountain biker? The guy that probably is not, is going to be terrified of some of the downhills you go on and the places that you go. And he's not going to have your level of equipment, but still wants to go out and wander around on a bicycle in the mountains. Is is there a place for that person? 
Yeah, there's a place for that person every anywhere you go. Basically, if there's, I can't really think of any place that I've been where there's mountain biking and there wasn't an area for a novice rider. So, you know, pick your poison. There's always going to be something. Uh, guarantee you're going to limit yourself to what you're going to be able to see and how far you can go. But there's always something out there. Forest roads are definitely something to look out because it's normally graded. Um, but you also, anytime planning something out, got to look at your elevation, especially if you don't ride bikes a lot because elevation is a real thing. And uh, when you're climbing, you know, several hundred feet, you feel it. And when you're not used to pedaling, I mean, like I can't, I don't know if I can run two miles without taking a rest stop or, or a break, but I can sure as shit pedal my bike over 15 miles at a, at a pretty good pace and not have to take a break. And, uh, you know, whether that be going up and down hills, being on trail or being on a road, you know, but, um, it's just like everything else. If you don't work out those muscles, then you don't have those muscles, uh, or they're not as strong. So, um, when you, when you're a novice rider, you just always got to make sure that you're well prepared, especially with the more novice that you are, because if you don't know how to work on your bike, it doesn't matter if you're a mile away or if you're four miles away or something like that. It's if your bike is down, then you're walking it, leaving it behind. It normally isn't an option when you're a novice rider and you don't have, uh, you know, all the best equipment, just make sure you have tons of water, plenty of food. If, uh, you don't, if you know, you're not going to have service or you're not sure if you're going to have service, tell people that you're going out and where you're going, how long you're expected to be there, things like that. You always just got to plan for the worst. You even tell like in Flagstaff where you have more primitive hiking so close to town and whatnot. Um, and just different things can happen, uh, cause you have so much unbalanced trail. Like if you're going out for a day hike, just be prepared that if you had to stay the night, you could. It's just a smart thing to do. If you're a novice, just be prepared to spend 24 hours there. <laughs> Not comfortably, of course, but. Well, I, and we didn't mention earlier, but you also are a manager at uh, the REI store in Santa Monica. Yes, I manage a restore, uh, re- the Recreational Equipment Incorporated. Shout out to the co-op. Very happy there. You're coming across all, I would imagine, a wide range of experience level people that enjoy the outdoors, whether it's somebody that's just starting that wants to get into, whether it's mountain biking or backpacking or, or you know, any of the other things that you guys do. So in conversations with them, these are some of the things you're talking to them about, about that preparedness. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, at, at REI... Uh, to to other people, if you are of an intermediate or beginner standpoint of your activity, um, I think that you'll see us as a store. Um, and when you are of a expert level of your of your sport or, or knowledge level knowledge base, then you would see REI more as a community. It's you do get a wide range of different types of people and that allows for really different interactions. But uh, when you get to the real experienced people, it's not so much that you're just where they're coming in to buy something they're coming in for more information. And those uh, beginners, you really got to force feed them with info and just let them make sure you're saying pertinent things to their trip. So you can build, um, 
that rapport with them so they can understand that when you're telling them, yeah, for this day hike, bring all of these things so you're prepared to stay overnight. And all they see you as is you're a store, you're a salesperson, you want me to buy these things. Right. But you know, if you have a different type of plat- platform, you'd be like, yeah, so this is why. You sprain your ankle and you don't have phone service and it's nine o'clock at night and you haven't been able to walk, you, you're in so much pain and your ankle is the size of a football, you know, and somebody's maybe called out for help for you or sent out a search for you. You need to, it's going to be nicer if you have an emergency blanket with you or if you have extra sunscreen or if you have extra food and, or if you did buy the three liter reservoir instead of the one liter or just bringing a water bottle because you have these little bit of extra supplies. And in that case, you'd be like, oh, I don't care about the little bit of money that I spent. But in that moment with someone who, you know, might think that you're joking, <laughs> saying that on this day hike, you need stuff for an overnight. But it's uh, it's all legitimate. It all has its risk. Well, I think anybody that, that jokes about preparedness has never been in a situation where it's mattered. They haven't found themselves out in that the kind of situation you're talking about where, okay, now what am I going to do? And I've got two swallows of water left. I know that there's multiple shows on TV that talk about survival and survivor man is always one that, that I watched. You started the shows by talking about the idea that you just don't know what's going to happen when you go out and you can be, you know, you can be a hundred yards from your car. And if you lose your way, you might as well be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. That show is always really cool to me as well. Cause he would, speak to the matter that you're not going to be thinking straight like he's he's this professional and he's setting up these cameras and he's being able to create this dialogue of what's happening and what mental scape that he's in which allows him to be so much more aware but that mental toughness that happens can really be ridiculous because you're just like you're saying you're 100 yards away from your car but you can't find it you know uh, adam and i play basketball and one of the things that we talk about is making the least amount of mistakes. And if you are going to go out with the intention of winning all of the games in a night in some pickup basketball, that really doesn't mean anything. And by the time you get later in the games, uh, teams that were better in winning lots of games, they just lose because they're tired. And a lot of instances, if you just play smarter, it's not necessarily giving a ton of ridiculous effort, but you just, don't put out effort that is stupid. You pick your spots. You consistently play smart. Don't waste all of your energy running on a fast break for offense if you're not going to be able to play defense after. Got to be intelligent, smart. Well, exactly. You know, using using what you have at hand, you know, using the resources that you have in any situation, you know, just being aware of, of your conditioning level. Um, just like you're talking about, if you go off on on a trip somewhere, okay, not only the elevation change on this particular hike, but what elevation are you starting at? Because if you if you go to Flagstaff, you're starting at 7,000 feet and going up from there. And, you know, it's, it's the person that overestimates their abilities, I think, that ends up being in, in the biggest danger. Yeah. If you, don't, if you don't take time to be aware, then you're not going to be. Okay. So we've talked about these different mountain biking areas and, and the things that, that you've done and for me, rate where you've gone and not just a rating that someone else would put on it because as in everything that we go and do, it matters who you're with. It matters your state of mind. It matters, you know, and also it's going to be your equipment, your expectations going in. We talked about this with food and restaurants. I'd be curious to know from you, your, your rating of the different trips that you've taken and what's, what's your favorite? 
Um, I mean, as pertaining to mountain biking, my favorite has to come down to the day trips I would take in Sedona. Um, or even just days riding in Flagstaff. It's where I've done the vast majority of my mountain biking. When I went to Mammoth, it was a really great experience, and I went with really great people. And it was my first downhill park experience, but you know, it, it was my first touch of a different type of world of mountain biking. And it wasn't on the proper equipment half the time. And when I had the better equipment, it didn't fit correctly. Going to Moab was super fun. Um, with people that I absolutely, you know, love and, and adore, uh, their names are Morgan and Matt and they were with me mountain biking when I first learned how, you know, Matt was with me on my very first mountain biking ride and I've ridden with him more than I've ridden with anybody else. And, uh, so that was definitely the right people, but, uh, there's something about Sedona that was really special. Even when you're just starting to get to know Sedona, there's this like back of mind feeling that, you know, people who love mountain biking and will do anything to mountain bike will travel from Australia, will travel from the UK, Germany, um, all parts of the United States, you know, Canada to come and ride what's right here. And I'm riding that. So there's that bit of nostalgia that's really, really fun. Along with the trails are flipping sweet. You get scared you there's there's flowy stuff there's technical things there's off trail fun there's risk it's it's brutal out there as well um but it's just vastly gorgeous and very unique and a lot of uh, the vortexes out there they're 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 real in my book i guess everybody has their own definitions of what a vortex could be and the powers the mystic powers that the vortexes can have that can heal you. Well, it's always been considered a very mystical place. Yeah, and there is something that I would notice about vortexes or why I why I think that they're real. And I'm going to tell you that because I have a very interesting perspective on the whole matter. Adam's empty. Yeah. I think Adam's asleep. We haven't heard from him for a while. Well, I'm here. I'm listening. Serving. Um, when I, while, while riding through Sedona, you'll come up on an area that you'll just, you'll feel something different. And maybe it's because you're, uh, for me, I was tired and something caused me to, despite being out of breath and hot and sweating and the sun in my face, I just got to look up. And there's something about the landscape that is particularly beautiful. Maybe it's a, a rock or a tree or a cactus or the view of the combination of everything or the colors, uh, a cloud. But there's just something that spark would spark me to get outside of what the struggle at hand was or what was right up in front of, of my mind. And that was the difficulty of the activity. And I would look at my area and there's just something about it that was really special. And sometimes it would cause me to push a little bit harder because I would give me a newfound energy. Sometimes it would literally make me stop and get off of my bike to just look at the area and sit down or take a picture or just sit and enjoy this beautiful feeling. And I would, I believe those to be a vortex uh, is a, it's a collection of energy that is stemming from the, the rocks there and is stemming from the ground. And I would get these amazing blissful feelings and I would want to stop and enjoy it and just be a part of it for a second. Then you continue on your trail. And strangely enough, I would come up to an area sometimes 
and I would not want to be on my bike. I would not want to be there. I would be want to be back in bed. I would want to just think of like sub in your, your safe space, you know, like in your bed with Netflix and the ice cream or like in, in front of your computer or a special place outdoors. You just get to these spots and I would literally just want to put my head down. Like I just need to get away from this spot and it just hits your energy differently. And just because it's not like, it's a negative energy spot or a positive energy spot. I just think that these vortexes affect different people differently depending on what state of mind that they're in. So, um, Sedona was super special and will always be super special to me. I had this idea that Moab was going to be like the big version of Sedona. Just it's, it's all the great things about it, but bigger. And I was harshly awoken from that fantasy and dream. Sedona is very particular. It's very special. Probably okay. why people go there from around the world. Well, absolutely. There's there's a lot of things that bring people to Sedona. And it's you know, it's the rock formations and it's the colors, you know, it's the mountain biking and it's the Jeep rides and it's all those things. But I think there's a there's a real basis in the fact that the, the mystical area, the vortexes that you're talking about, and people get those feelings. I've always at different times in my life, you know, you realize and, and I know what you're talking about, you're going along and you're just you're mired in whatever you're mired in and whether it's a walk or a drive or, or a job or anything else. And the idea to stop and look up and look around is something that I think we should all do a little bit more of because it's so important, you know, and whatever it was up there that made you stop and look up and you could see this vista and you could see the sky and, and all of this. But that's just an important thing, you know, no matter what you're doing. Uh, I remember used to love to go to Parker and play golf and you're tied up in, in this round of golf and you're trying to play really well. And we'd go over there and play in tournaments. And I remember the first day that I really stopped and, and looked around. The elevation changes in this golf course are, are substantial. And you're sitting up in a tee and you're looking at a really difficult shot. And you're like, oh, what am I going to do? But you stop and you look and, and then you see the vistas of the rest of the course and the Colorado River and people swimming and boating. And, and all of a sudden, just all this pressure from where you are, like you're talking about, just mired in, in whatever you're doing, just kind of dissipates. And you realize that, wow, this is just gorgeous. This is a really cool place to be. And to look around, and then when you turn back the golf shot, in this case, it didn't look so daunting. It wasn't as important. But that's, that's cool that Sedona has meant that for you. I, I know that when you first started writing, and we, we would talk about that, Sedona was just a place that, you talked about from the very beginning and how much you enjoyed being up there. Yeah. It has my two favorite things, mountain biking and cliff jumping. So those are, I'm always able to stay excited there. Nice. So, okay. Well, we're, we're a ways into the podcast here. Is there anything else, Zach, you want to, you want to bring up in the last couple minutes here about this topic or any other? On uh, yeah. A couple of notes on the note of Sedona. If you ever decide to have sex next to one of the trails. Okay. Now there's goes our rating. Go ahead. Probably don't because a lot of the trails, there's not like area to get away under coverage. So people will see you. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, When mountain biking always have electrolytes on you in a separate water bottle because you're going to start sweating a lot. And once you start sweating, you want to replenish but not drink electrolytes before you start sweating or after you are out of water because then it defeats the purpose. I learned that the hard way. Okay. Another good tip. If there, different ends of the spectrum as far as 
as you know, who would be adhering to that, but that's good. You that's good. Totally utilize both those information at the same time though. You know, that's very true. That's see, there he is. You know, we haven't heard a lot from him today, but he just nailed it. Yeah. Chiming in when it matters. Could yeah, be it's good. Could be the same trip. I do like to note that all of us are in Oregon gear as if it was a game day today. But no, it's it's just Wednesday. And we're in our normal clothes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We all are in in duck gear, and soon we will have a podcast talking about the state of all things ducks. We've waited this long, so it doesn't seem like we started this podcast solely for that purpose. But it's coming, we'll be folks. Quite a few episodes about it. Did 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 you see what he did there? We've waited about it because ducks they wade in the water. That's we waited. Yeah, that's good well, stuff, man. Our fans are all laughing. That's next level. Okay, so I think we're going to call this an episode. We want to really thank Zach for spending some time with us and informing us about mountain biking and some outdoor activities. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. And, uh, you know, don't let anyone dim your sparkle. Never. Ever. You all let right. the dark times be a dark night where your stars can shine the brightest. Okay. Profound. All right, guys. We're rambling a bit. More perspective. Who are the good ones? The good ones of today. Point them out to me so I can come and join their way. We'll walk around this land with open hands looking for change. We'll want to understand this progression we have ahead. Humanity is killing wheat, for this we will not stand. I say let's progress in good contest. Make conference, then love our best. Our onslaught of love will be at an all-time high. Crashing like waves on some ponderosa pines. Our love that makes no sense. We who spend love at no expense. We are a force of passion. Create a new faction. Taking action, working hard just for the satisfactions. With the abilities to shine so bright that others want to fight. Because our light is in their eyes. Ladies and gentlemen.